I was, I was just having a good moment of worship and um, singing that song about the goodness of God. And I was, I was just listening to that last lyric, and it was very um, ominous for me. God, when the night is on, and then, then this chord just struck in my heart, and I thought it was the angels playing, and then I looked over, and it was Brandon, which is very similar. Are you leaving on that note? You, you can. I, I just was moved in my spirit. And I think when, when I'm questioning what's going on around me, I want to hear the chord of the violin of the living God just saying, it's okay. Be at peace. I am good. I will not fail. In the midst of this night, I am with you and I am here. And that, that is such a good God that we worship. I hope that's settled in your spirit a little bit today. It needs to settle um, across so many of our lives. And we really want to um, say to the Lord, we believe you're good. And we believe that you're... Um, this, is this you? Can I throw it to you? Throw in the Apple phone. That's good. Um, so uh, I, want, I want us... There's like this rumbling across the room. We have skills. And so... Um, we, 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 I lost my place. And so in my heart... And so we, we want to be able to communicate to people, you were made by God. And you were built for this purpose of his glory. And so it's Bible school week around here. And I don't know how you feel about Bible school week. I mean, whatever your school chant is, I want to go like charge on or roll tide or go Knowles or yes, Jesus, you know. You could be more excited than that. And I'm just going to keep going until you got going, yes. And so we really want to speak to some kids this week about this truth. That they were made by God and they were built for the purposes of the kingdom of Christ. And I hope that some of them fleshed that out this week in such a manner that for mom and dad, for me when I was nine and at the end of a Bible school week, I came home and said, I would like to know Jesus. And they just kind of processed that through with me. And I said, yes to the Lord. And I at that moment was being made new by God and built for the purposes of his glory for the rest of my days. And so for me personally, this week is filled with anticipation. And I I wrote down some sentences so I wouldn't go long on this part. And I was actually supposed to make it out of the baptismal for this moment. I didn't get dressed fast enough. But I wrote down this, that um, in Bible school this week, we want to teach kids that they are loved by God. And and just that that they're made in the image of Jesus. And that's beautiful for them. And then we want to teach them that loved kids love kids. So we showed you a video during the greeting moment or whatever happened in that moment. I was getting dressed slowly. And so we showed you a video just of this ministry that we love to be partnered with. And I hope to tell you two stories today. One of them's questionable if I get to it. But um, just some stories of being partnered with the children's home. And what we believe about our kids is that they are loved kids. And loved kids do what? Love kids love. I mean, I love, uh, love followers of Jesus. They love others with their heart and soul and their mind and strength. And so we put feet to that. And so this week, a part of what we're going to be about is um, we found out, and Ryan, you're going to help me with the numbers a little bit because I may get them wrong and I don't want to do that because I want to be accurate. We found out that um, 10,000 kids this summer or this year? Oh my goodness, it's better than that. So we found out that if love kids love and if love followers of Jesus love, 
that 10,000 kids on a monthly basis receive food through the Florida Baptist Children's Home for the summer or throughout the year actually through their backpacks they go home with food that otherwise would probably only eat lunch at school but now they have lunch and supper. And so our kids are going to be hearing about this throughout the week because we're going to love our kids. And what do love kids do? They love, and so they're going to be put into colors and teams, and they're going to have this competition with each other out on the field, and they're going to get after it with one another and, you know, compete, and everybody will get a prize because that's the way it is today. And so they'll get a participant's medal, and then, um, and then, and then they'll, um, then they'll get, get challenged to say this, we want you to get after one another in loving kids because love kids love. And so they're going to be, um, they're going to be challenging you, um, parents, and hopefully you, grandparents, to give them a, a dollar or some change or a hundred dollar bill or a thousand dollar check because they're going to be learning that love kids love and that there are some kids that they go to school with that don't have food and so they're going to provide for them. And so that's fun for me um, just to think we're a part of that puzzle of what God is doing. And then I have great news for you. Um, I had our deacons just kind of hand this back. Um, I, I, this is like a little gold plate that's going to sit here. And in the um, pew rack in front of you, and see I've used that word twice now, Matt, in the, uh, in the pew in front of you, is there's just a little Florida Baptist children's home. And so we don't want to just cheat the kids. We want you to have the chance to be a part of this as well because love followers of Jesus love. And so today is an offering. If you want to give at the end of the service, you can, you can drop in a few dollars. You can drop in a whopper. I don't, I, I don't care. Just drop something in these two plates at the front and it would be awesome. And then here's my last part because we're going to love kids because they're created by God and they're made for purpose. And we believe that love kids love and so we want to give them a handle to love kids and so we're going to partner with one of our beautiful partners called the children's home and then you're getting a chance to even be a part of this and finally for every dollar that we give this week there is a matching grant so it will double that made me happy that's like Jesus or something you know and so um so we um we really ended in May and I wrote them I said our kids are giving this week could you ask your matching donor, this is through the children's home, if they would honor this week? And they said, wrote back and said, we will. And so I get to look at kids every night and say, every penny you drop in, it doubles. Every dollar doubles. Every $100 bill doubles. And 10,000 kids a month, as a result, eat. And that means they are loved. And then they begin to learn that they're made for purpose. And then they begin to love. And it's beautiful. So I'll cry talking about that. Uh, one of my favorite families is here today. Um, I've asked Luke to speak for 15 minutes because he's from Ireland and it's just awesome to hear his voice. And so uh, the Philpott family is on the sixth row back there. Y'all can wave at each other. Um, they're the most amazing redemptive story. Say hello and welcome to them. Um, So, uh, and by the way, I brought my lunchbox just as a little symbol because kids will go home from summer programs with their lunch and Ella said please don't mention it dad I got bored one day and wrote Ella rocks and so that's it's not on there but uh we I mean, y'all are the I like I love Luke <laughs> Karen is one of my long-term friends and she was so irritated with me because I would always say I love your husband and she's like can you just what am I like and so it was beautiful they had this amazing story leading up to their marriage just a lot of wounds a lot of hurt a lot of challenges I we I can I tell where we got married or is that the kids know this whole story tell the whole thing yeah 
And so they came knocking on my front door one day and said, we are ready to get married. They had a, they had a, a wedding planned uh, later in Tennessee, but we went down to our, our lake and we got married. And since then, what a blessing. Look at your family. Uh, amazing family. Missing some of my favorite parts of your family, but... Um, and for those of you that, that I told the, you guys last night, we had some people who love this part of it. They keep flying to China and their family keeps expanding. And so for those of you that that's your story, you'll want to hang out with them for a little while because not only have they been flying to China, but they're just awesome to talk to. And so they are a redemptive story of Jesus, just living the story of Christ in very, very practical ways. And they're in St. Augustine on vacation and still can manage to get nine kids and themselves up here for worship. So I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so... Uh, so it's a good day for me. The Philpots are in the house. And so, and I love the rest of you. Here we go. Let's talk about Jesus for a little bit. I think we already have been. But what do you say to the generations when you want to declare the goodness of God? When you want to just speak out to them and say, God loves you. I mean, every time I say this, I think of like, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. You know, we love Jesus. How about you? And I, th- I hear this roar coming back. I don't think y'all are ready for that in this church yet. But um, I hear this roar just coming back. And then we just start shouting out the goodness of God. Like, what do we want to declare across generations? This series really going into the summer and going into what is now happening has really spawned out of Psalm 145, verse 4, which it is said of us, one generation declares the splendor of Christ to the next generation after generation and I was teaching in our last series it just struck me I tend to read this verse and think that oh I have such wisdom for the generations below me and I don't think that that is the emphasis of this verse at all it means that my children will sit with me and speak up the greatness of God to me and I will sit at moments as a father going I'm so thankful for their wisdom in Jesus and their childlike faith. I am growing in my spirit as a result. And there will be at times where I will speak to someone younger than me and there will be maybe a nugget of the truth of the goodness of God. And it was a declaration that took root. And if you were in small group this morning, that root really found fertile soil and their hearts were changed as a result. And it's the older generation looking at me and saying, you're I used to hear this. I don't hear this. You're a young pastor. And that's, those days are gone. And so you're a Midland pastor. And, you know, we just want to speak life to you. And it's generations declaring the goodness of God one to another. And it's the beautiful reality of what God wants this to be about. I, I learned from, um, from Moses. And I, I, I just have almost developed a new bracelet because what would Moses do? Because I, I just love this idea of what he chose to declare. Have you ever been in a moment when you personally have blown it? And I don't mean in some small proportion. I'm talking in an epic manner in your faith. You have completely blown it. And I, I doubt that many of us have been where Moses was in the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, which will then lead us to the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew. But I doubt that many of us have stood with someone who not only did their failure in faith and their failure to love and trust God cost them, but it cost them in 40 years of wandering. I doubt that many of us have, but I know for my own personal life, I've got about at least a three to four year journey of wandering and missing the fullness of who God is. And I just want to speak what Moses spoke over the people. 
He began to talk with them and he made a generational declaration to the people of God. He said in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verses one and two, this is the command, it's the statutes, it's the ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you could follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess this. Do this so that you may fear your Lord. He's your God. Do this all the days of your life by keeping his statutes and commands I am giving to you. And listen to this. And I'm giving to you and your son and your grandson and generations so that you can carry on and live a long, but more importantly, don't fixate on the long, but the prosperous, kingdom-oriented, Jesus-glorifying life. I'm speaking this into you and I am declaring this over you so that generations can walk in the fullness of what God is and who he is to them. I am declaring this so they will know that they are created by God and built for purposes of his glory. And he speaks that into their lives. I don't don't know that um, we shouldn't learn tremendously from this. God doesn't leave us aimless when we are making generational declarations. The the blueprint for who we are and what we are to express is spoken through Scripture. And in fact, in this passage, Deuteronomy 6, there is one step in this culmination. To know the story of this, I've hinted at it, but let me be clear. Moses is leading Israel. It's not a lot different than leading in any spectrum. If you've led a church, if you've led a small group, if you've led teenagers, for heaven's sake. If you're leading in any... (coughs) Excuse me. If you're leading in any manner... He is looking at them and saying, I am leading you into a culmination of decision-making right now. He is leading Israel, and they are on the threshold of a monumental decision. Much like where we land in places where we're saying, God, we want us to, we want to be used by you. We want to believe this, that we are built for a purpose. We're made for glory. We're made to resonate your name, God. We want to be about that. Please don't allow us to wander aimlessly anymore what do you say when that is coming they're making a step of faith and 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 i i don't know where you land in your faith and i don't know what soil is in this room i'm just going to scatter seed right now and trust that the lord will do with it as he sees fit but there are most likely those of us in this room who are sitting and going another uplifting message another truth from scripture you don't know where i sit and yet you have moses sitting with a group of people who've wandered for 40 years and they're seeking purpose and they long to, to, to live for the sake of the glory of God. And in fact, those who are in this encounter, they are the survivors who are saying, let's go charge big hills for the sake of God's glory. And they're looking around them, much like we should look around with one another and say, will you charge them with me? We can't manage to have another coup. We can't manage to look around and have about half of us saying, we want to glorify Jesus. And the other half of us going, we're kind of comfortable where we are. He's looking for an all-in in this moment. He not being Moses, he being the living God. And he's looking for Moses to look at them and say, I want to declare over you what you must speak to one another if you're going to live for the purposes of my glory in this earth. And so Moses does what we ought to do in response to a major stumble, in response to a verge of what God is doing. He would give him and he would give them the law again. Thus the word Deuteronomy, which is a fabulous word. Deuteronomy means repeat. Nomos means the law. He would come back, and that's why I love Moses so much. He was redundant. This is what should possibly happen in this pulpit. We should just preach the same message in a redundant manner until we're doing it. 
Deutero. I'm going to repeat this. Nomos, the law of the living God. We're just going to talk about this and talk about this. And we're going to, here's what I would say to you as your pastor. Here's what Moses knew was the answer. I'm not coming to inspire you. You can do it. That's not what I want you to share with them. In fact, Moses, I want you to say to them, apart from the statutes and the reality of the presence of the living God, you have no hope of taking that first step through the river. You have no hope of walking on into the land of the giants and taking this. So here's what I want to repeat to you. Love the Lord your God. Fix your heart and eyes on him. Set your gaze there. And generations will walk in this matter. You will walk this way. Your sons will walk this way. Your grandchildren will walk this way. But set your heart on the word of God. And so the question then becomes for a body of believers like this. What is it that we speak to one another as we stand on the verge of faith? And I would suggest to you that the greatest thing, Cynthia was sitting reading a book last night, and I think it was like a Catherine Kingsbury, something like that. And she was going, the coolest thing about this book is they keep like speaking scripture to one another. And I'm like, yeah, that should be the church. We're Deuteronomos. We just come back and go, I'm going to repeatedly speak to you the word of God. If you come to me for a thought, it's going to be like this. I am thinking that the word of God applies to that. And here's the scripture for that. If we are going to capture and take kills for the sake of the glory of God, if we're going to walk into the land that he promises, we will repeatedly, vastly, beautifully dwell in the, in the richness of the word of God. Over and over, we'll just keep saying it to one another. Like, look, man, I think that this is where you're missing it. You're outside of this, and let me draw you back in the truth. And so I, I wrote some questions to myself. What would you say to a group of believers about to enter a land occupied by those who were far from God? Descriptive of exactly where we live the minute you walk out of here. Moses gave us an extraordinary template. What would you say to a group of people who are preparing to go and occupy a land... And primarily those in the land, in fact, almost universally, those in the land are far from God. And I want my children and my grandchildren to walk with the Lord. And so I want to repeatedly draw them back to Scripture. And I want to repeatedly say to them, most that you will walk with won't walk this way. You're going to be weird. And once in a while, maybe once a week, you'll get together with other weird people and we will bolster one another's faith. If you want to be biblical, we're going to be peculiar. We're going to walk in such a manner that's radically different from this world. We're going to encourage one another and we're going to deuteronomos. We're going to repeatedly speak the word of God so that it dwells amongst us richly. What would you say to a group of people who are saying, we're going to walk in a world where most don't know God? What would you say to the faithful if you knew that their faith would be challenged at every single turn? Is this not where we live? And I, I want to go with my children, but it's me. I'm walking, I'm walking among most adults that I encounter in, in the very places I have social opportunities with the antithesis of a biblical worldview. And so how do I flesh this out? What would you say to a group of people for whom the burden of carrying and representing the covenant message of the living God is given to them? And Moses says, here's what I want you to hear. The statutes and the ordinances, repeat them to one another. The Lord your God has called me to teach this to you and for you to teach this to one another. 
so that you could follow him in the land, so that you could walk in the middle of him. You're going to possess this land. This is going to be a beautiful story of us walking together. Do this. Here's the reason. So that you and your grandchildren and your children and your grandchildren's children and generations to come, so that they will walk in fellowship and in fellowship of the living God. Walk in this. And I pray that you'll do this so you will live a long life. And then Jesus just picks this right up and says, Hey church, in case you missed missed Moses, what would Jesus do? In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, it just says these words. It says, um, and by the way, just setting this up, I, I just wrote down some thoughts as I read back through the last chapters. Leading up to this, Jesus has been healing many, walking among many doubters, walking among religious hypocrites. He's been feeding thousands. He's been freeing oppression. He's been challenging his disciples. He's been challenging us, being the common people who aren't yet disciples. He's, um, he's had overbearing blind men just two chapters back going, would you, know, would you calm it down? Yeah, we'll calm down. Lord, have mercy on us, you know? And so that's his last encounter before this with the lost, and he has mercy on them, and as he heals them, and then he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, open the eyes of our hearts, or more importantly, open our eyes for now, and then open the eyes of our heart, and he did the inversion. He opened their heart, opened their eyes, and they were fully before God. And then he said, so here's what I want you to be about, church. Here's what I want you to repeat over and over to one another. Love the Lord your God. Speak this to one another. Pour this into one another. Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the greatest and most important command that you could be about as a body of believers. And as you're doing this, love your neighbor because love people love. Every law and every prophet's truth. The statutes hang on this. So let's Let's be about this. Imagine if we truly believed that every person mattered to God and was formed in the image of God. Imagine that. That was my kind of sticky thought for, the, for two weeks ago. Imagine that we believe this. There was a wide range of people that were listening. Some were hungry physically. Some were hungry spiritually. Some were desirous and of hope and possibility. They were comprised of religious elite, tax collectors, prostitutes, and just your average everyday sinners like us. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, if I could repeat this to you and say this to you, this is what I would be about. And coming on your screen, um, it just says this thought, you can't truly love God if you are not loving who God loves. And that's the truth that Jesus presented. And he said, look, I want you to take this one step further. I love that you love me, a byproduct, if you will, to go with this today's small group study. One of the questions popped up, how will you know? If you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit in the presence of God, well, well, here's a way. Do you love people? The way Jesus loved them. Do you find yourself surrounded by tax collectors and prostitutes and hungry? Or, I mean, do we kind of throw out an offering thing at the bottom and once in a while throw a buck in and go, we, we just doubled that? I have a harder sentence. I'll say that for just a minute. He just said, you you can't love God if you don't love those that he loved. If you and I are going to fulfill the call of generations... We will proclaim this among another. In, in fact, it will be the royal law. Much like the Shema was the heartbeat proclamation among the people of Israel, this will be the proclamation among this church. Man, I'm so in love with God. Let me tell you what my heart has been doing. Let me tell you what, what I have hidden in my mind and is saturating my desires. 
And let me repeat that to you over and over. Let me tell you how my soul is not craving the things that those around me seem to be craving. And it was. But now it's craving the things of Jesus, man. This is crazy what's going on inside of me. Our primary response to the grace and forgiveness of God is that, to love others and to say, Jesus, teach me to do this more. In fact, the great commandment coming on the screen is a brilliant way of summarizing God's agenda, intention, and plan for his church. In fact, I've just walked through this. Jesus lived in a way that modeled the very essence and image of God. He touched lepers. He he forgave prostitutes. He led the hungry. He fed them. He talked to children. He sat down at the table with outcasts. Jesus not only led in this way, he taught in this way. It appealed to the image of God in every single person. As I think about the fourth chapter of the book of John, and I think about this extraordinary teaching on worship, Jesus taught the most unlikely woman. It's a great stirring for some of us in this room, but Jesus taught the most unlikely woman in a well and then sent her back to teach her village and the entirety of the village came back. That is how Jesus was modeling for us the image of God. Salvation came to a man who was coming in secret and yet had a hungry heart, found himself beside the tomb of Christ. The power of faith and the wonder of generosity as a beautiful child just walked to Jesus and said, can I teach you all about faith? Because this is all I have, and I'm going to hand you this, and you'll probably feed the 20,000 with it. Jesus taught us in his life about what it means to teach and live in the image of God. And the most unlikely missionary, the same woman that I alluded to first, he taught her she went for the sake of the gospel back to her village. And shockingly, everyone followed her back to Christ from the village. Jesus died so that he could redeem the image of God. He was accused, he was judged, he was humiliated, he was whipped, he was executed, yet innocent. We sang that a little while ago. I hope our hearts just rise up within us as we understand the power of Jesus as he was redeeming his image within us. Jesus rose again and through that is transforming us into the image of the living God, providing for us the very same resurrection power that that lifted him from the grave. And I just said that like in a down low manner and my heart just went, thank you, God. The the dynamic power of the living God that raised him from the grave is living within me. And he taught that, he lived that, he died for that, and he resurrected for that truth and reality. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he invites us to follow him. This is the story we're telling among one another. A story of redemption. A story of transformation. A story of influence for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A story from death to life. Praise God for that. I mean, is there an an opportunity for us, first of all to become passionate about this, and secondly, for us to walk out of here speaking that story to one another. Say, I want to speak about this redeeming work of Christ. After all, for heaven's sake and earth's sake, he modeled this. He taught this. He is redeeming us. He was given for this, and he has overcome for this. I I, I want to flip back to the heartbeat. I'm not a big um, fan of pronouns, but they're, they're just so so powerful at times. I love, I was an English minor and we actually had a pop quiz and I walked into a summer class um, on pronouns and it was irritating because I was terrible with them. And pronouns didn't mean a lot to me uh, truly until, I mean they're not verbs, they're not full of action and excitement, they're pronouns for heaven's sake. 
David loves pronouns. And I actually, I kept, I've read through it like six times last night and again this morning, just looking for the beautiful reality. But I love what David is teaching in Psalm 145 as he just says, there's some things that you're declaring among one another. There's some things that shift when you make the declarations. For instance, in Psalm 145, he just says, I exalt you, my God, my King. I worship you, Lord. I bless your name, and I will bless your name forever and forever. I will bless you every day. I will bless your name forever and forever. Praise you, Lord. Verse 5 says, I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. And then he kind of shifts in this moment and says, and here's the byproduct of that. Here's the joy of pronouns. It's this beautiful reality of community and what God is doing. I'm going to bless you, Lord. I'm going to worship you, Lord. I am going to speak of your word, Lord. I am going to proclaim you, Lord. I am going to glorify you, Lord. I am going to rest in you, Lord. I am going to tell people of your mighty acts, Lord. And here's what will happen. They will proclaim your power. Listen to that. I am going to do some things, and as a result, they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. And then I will come behind them and declare with all your greatness. And then they will give testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your compassion. And they will joyfully sing with the heavenlies because I am proclaiming. And it becomes this powerful thing as I read the book of um, the book of Acts, I see this pronoun movement from this faith that is about an eye to this powerful move of God. I, they, but what I really want for us to understand is the power of the community of faith as we declare the glory and the riches of God among one another is that we become a collective we. That the scripture teaches that there's not this idea of I'm going to declare this and it'll be a solo feat. It is this, I am walking with a corporate body of believers and we are declaring the goodness of who you are. The beauty of the biblical community is this, it's God's people living together with Christ at our center. And we're just declaring that. And I I know, because I've had conversations with some in this room, that there is not a regard that is biblically oriented for the truth and the beauty of the community of faith. There are many in this room that believe you are an I and you walk alone. And that is part of the problem that we struggle with becoming a we. We walk this out and go, I've got this, I walk this way, I have... No, no, if you are not walking in collective communal living, then you're cheating the body of Christ. You're cheating the kingdom of God. If you believe you have this in and of yourself, you're cheating yourself. You're missing the beauty of the community of faith and the glory of the wonder of God. Community is where we learn the truth about ourselves, where walls are broken down, where people who are typically excluded in this world are included for the sake of the gospel. In community, the first person singular moves to the the first person plural. It moves from I to we. In genuine community, in biblical community, a deep solidarity with others can be found. Would you describe your us or we in that manner? 
I have a solidarity in this place. I am walking in the fullness of who God is. We are collaborating and identifying with one another in the glory of the resurrected Jesus, in the beauty of his redeeming work, in the power of his image that he is drawing out of us. We're walking this out together. It's the kind of sacrificial and others-focused love that Jesus demonstrated and lived out. It's a we. The religious leaders who were asking this didn't understand this at all. And yet Jesus did, and his was a powerful community. It was made up of rabbis and Romans and officials, children, farmers, tax tax collectors, women, dead people. Jesus had a pretty beautiful idea of what we look like. We're made in a God, and we reflect the image of God, and we have potential to love. And so I just kind of end asking this question and praying for our answer. Jesus positioned himself as a way to know God, and then he threw the door wide open. And in fact, he described himself in the book of John as the door, the way to make your way to Jesus. And then he said to the church, you likewise are a part of this ministry of reconciliation. You are the door of the goodness and the grace of God. Pharisees panicked at Matthew 22. They panicked when they heard this, and I think it would panic some of us. And so people who were coming to him did not like this. And I just wrote this question down. I think it's a super important question. If everyone in our church is comfortable with who is showing up currently, we haven't opened the door wide enough. When Jesus spoke in Matthew 22, he was surrounded by rabbis and Roman officials, children and farmers, tax collectors, women, and the formerly dead. If everyone in this room is comfortable with who's showing up here, then we have some declarations to make. I used to write this down. I almost see Jesus and hear him saying, See those tax collectors? Let them in. That Samaritan woman? Yeah. The one who betrayed you? Well, I'm going to model this for you. I'm going to go cook fish and sit with him and see if he can't be restored and perhaps do something for the sake of the living God. Because I love him. And I think his heart's right. And he's... Peter's almost like the the people who are standing on the edge. When Moses was saying, the Lord was looking at him going, I want you, Peter, to come to the end of yourself. And you can move into the beginning of God. And that was this beautiful penultimate moment. But it was a little awkward for the early church to deal with that, much less to talk about Paul or Saul, who flowed in a little bit later. Throw the doors open. We believe with all of our heart, as our Bible school kids will learn all week, that you were made by God. You were built for purpose, for the glory of his name. I, um, I, I ran across this, and I'll, I'll just end with this, and it was just beautiful and painful. There's a, we were contacted by some uh, folks with a children's home, and I have no idea where this can go, so this isn't like an announcement coming at the end. We were just contacted because this church cares a lot about the orphan. 
And so they just knew that about us. And so they contacted us and said, would you pray about um, a guy? And his picture's coming up on the screen. His name is Charles Morley. He's um, native to uh, Kenya. And uh, he just started to notice the orphan in Kenya and began to care for them. He was extraordinarily wealthy. I, I had the chance with a couple of my family members to watch the video they sent us that's going to actually show at the Southern Baptist Convention in a week, I think. And so we got a little preview of it. And, and the call was, Mark, would your church just start to pray now? Because we don't know what partnerships look like, but we think he's doing something mammoth in Kenya. Which is kind of cool, because I think that's, no, Zambia is your first trip, wasn't it? Yeah, that's close. But he's just doing, and, and, and there's, I, I was watching Molly, and you can fly, fly another picture up. It's, it's kind of beautiful. There are 20, I think 22,000 kids that have become a part of his family. He was a millionaire in Kenya and gave everything away as he began to discover the need and just began to live for the sake of others. And um, because he was born in the image of God and made in the image of God, he began to see children on the streets, likewise in HIV and AIDS-infested nations as kids who were loved by God. And so he just began to build a home. And what I found interesting in light of this sermon, and so I want to read my question again, if everyone in your church is comfortable with who's showing up, have we opened the door wide enough? His church expelled him as he started to reach the hundreds and the thousand. They, they said, please don't come here. We're not comfortable with these kids. I love the end of the thing because the church finally caught a clue and found Jesus. And it says that um, the church welcomed this entirety of the family back. I would welcome too. It's a little church growth movement. <laughs> How do you grow 22,000 in one day? Call Charles Moley. <laughs> He's the guy. But I think they wrestle with this question, and I want us to wrestle with this. And I hope you wrote it down. I want you to wrestle with this question, and, and I don't want it to be light. And I didn't read this nor write it in a light manner. If everyone in Mandarin is comfortable with who's showing up, are our doors open wide enough? Are we, are, we, are we moving far enough? And are we stepping into the crevices and the places of the city where the gospel is potent and pertinent? Where it helps and lends and it just says, God, I said, there's this guy who came and spoke to us a few weeks ago. Uh, Rick Wheeler, I think, is in the room and had him in. And um, he just described his feeling about this subject in this way. I have a holy discontent about where we are. And I listened to him and I thought, this is what I feel right now preaching this, that we are made in the image of God. What if we believe that about every person we meet? What if we long to share the gospel with them? What if we as a church believe with all of our heart that we are first and foremost to love God with every bit of who we are? But the second and prevailing byproduct of that is that we are stepping into the places of our influence with that love of God, sharing that love of God, and the gospel is pervasive among us. And if that and when that is true, there will be some weird discomfort as we come walking in with the people we've met throughout the week going, they're with me. They're coming in. I promised them that the timbers would not fall. That was a running commentary to a lot of friends that came in. And, and in fact, it may have been the commentary the first time I met Luke pre-Jesus. where he just, And I walked in and I go, hey, Luke, it won't fall on your head, buddy. It's going to be good. And it didn't. And, and the gospel has prevailed. And I, I just am longing for that. And so let me just ask this and pray for us. If everyone here is good, then maybe we should just go ahead and lock the doors. And call it done. But if not, I come to you with a Deuteronomus. 
the repetitive calling out of the truth of the Great Commission. Spoken to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. And your sons and daughters will rejoice. And your grandchildren will rise up and worship him. And Jesus picked that up and said, I want to continue the Deuteronomus, the repetitive speaking of the law among the people of God. And I want the statutes to be heard that you should love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. And may I tag a law to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to pause there, you can hang every other law on that. And if you will do that, probably the church will ask this question. What doors? Amen. Jesus, we're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to open altars to pray. We're going to lift high our voices. We're going to proclaim our love for you. We are going to be challenged first and foremost, for the doors of our heart. And then we'll open more. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. I pray that repetitive reality over this church. Jesus, we love you. Teach us to love you, Lord. Grow the love of God and Christ in our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Open doors of our heart for others because of that love. Jesus, we love you. This altar is wide open. Powerful to build a place to say, Lord, I'm honored. But when I stand up from here, I'm leaving that behind. Come and worship your presence. We'll lift up a song and we just want you to be free to sing or not, to pray, to pursue. And perhaps the only thing left behind is the declaration among generations for the love of God in Christ love for each other. Would you stand and worship with me as you see fit? Some of our pastors are here at the front if you would like.